This is the Radio Check Podcast, life in the concert touring industry. Rock and roll. Here we are again. How are you, Brother Chris? I'm good, Matt. Good, good morning. This is the morning thing for us this time because uh, of the time zone where our, our guest is in. Yeah. It just uh, cracked past noon for me. But yeah, absolutely. This, uh, you know, we're, we've got people, you know, from all over the, the earth, it seems at times. And so, um, but, you know, before we get to that, I just wanted to touch base with you and thanks um, just to check in, see how you're doing, what's new, um, you know, what's going on in your part of the world. Uh, well, uh, you know, just, you know, <laughs> every day, Sunday, you know, you, you, you get up and, you know, it's a Groundhog's Day sometimes. Oh, but, gosh, yeah. Uh, I, 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 you know, I do my best, you know, I, I, I'm trying to eat right. I'm exercising. I'm sleeping a lot. I mean, I'm sleeping a lot, you know, uh, I mean, eight hours too. minimum. Yeah. I'm, I've never been that guy, you know, cause you know, you sleep five hours a night, six hours a night, five hours a night, and then you have a day off and you sleep for 12, you know, <laughs> then you yeah. go back to the five hours a night, six hours a night. But, uh, yeah. I'm, Don't get used to it. I'm sleep. Oh, I'm used to it, dude. I'm, I'm already used to it. I'm totally, yeah. totally loving sleep. You know, it's, wow. it's my favorite thing. It's like it's uh, sleep is delicious. I'm going to call it delicious. Oh, I, you know, I agree. That's, that's, I, it's up. It's up there. It's up there in that category. You know. You know, it, it's amazing. Just talk about. We're going to take a little wellness break here and talk about this real quick because sleep is such an essential thing, and um, it's you know certainly one of my focal points for helping people with their health and well-being and, and mentally and physically. Um, but just to kind of give some people a little bit of uh, knowledge out there, I'm not sure how many people at this point have been vaccinated or not, but the amount of sleep you get, you know, not getting enough sleep can have a, a dramatic impact negatively on your immune system. And so there's been some studies that show that after a bad night's sleep, something like a flu vaccine can have a greatly reduced efficacy, whereas after a good night's sleep, the flu vaccine can have a higher level of efficacy, you know, the, the amount of antibodies that are produced, you know, as a response. So, you know, this is kind of the thing that right now during the pandemic and with the vaccine coming along, you know, something to be mindful of, but so hopefully down the line, you know, be able to talk about it more to help people in the industry um, optimize their sleep, even though the window of sleep might be short, you know, we can still help people get really good quality in a shorter period of time, you know, as long as the right things are put in place. So, um, so what I, you're saying is don't start sleep by getting drunk and passing out. That's, that's not the sleep you're talking about. That, that, yeah, that, that's actually sedation and that's a lot different. So, um, yeah, yeah not, not to turn this podcast or this session into this kind of discussion, but Certainly, there's a lot to be discussed there. You know, once people start thinking about getting back on the road, some best practices. Um, you know, I'm going to do a, a shameless plug here because on uh, May 25th, I'll be doing um, an online session. Uh, Nick Gosling invited me to get involved and um, talk to people in the touring industry. And so the TPG and the TPA um, organizations are doing something they kind of focus with mental wellness. Um, it seems, and uh, I'm going to be bringing my skill set to kind of uh, help people think about things around nutrition and physical movement and physical health and its association with mental health, and then also the importance of rest and sleep and, you know, and, and helping people kind of figure out how to, you know, get the best that they can under the circumstances that they might be under. So I'm really excited and looking forward to that because, as you know, this is something that I've been probably talking to you for, for years you know, yeah, yeah. Um, you yeah. know, I'm a dietitian, wanting and a personal to... trainer, and 
you know, you've been wanting to, uh, you know, laterally move your new skill set into, into back into the music industry, which is, which is actually, this is a wonderful introduction to our guest, um, who, who, this is a very, very important, uh, thing for him too. He's, 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 he's also on the, on the front line driving force of, uh, mental health and wellness in our industry. So let's just go ahead and introduce our, our guest let's today is Mr. 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 Dave Lawrence, my very good friend, coming from sunny Portugal. Hi, Dave. How are you doing, Chris? How are you doing, Matt? Yeah, thanks for inviting me to come on this. Yeah, let's yeah. Let's, let's see where we go with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, this is this is you know we're already going. I mean, what do you, what do you you know? I know you've been on a lot of these uh, production Zoom calls and. You're on the you're you know you've been really pushing this agenda for 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 health and wellness on the road, um, you know what 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 is what is what is your your, your the driving force behind behind you? Uh, uh, well, I would this? say I would say on a personal level, you know, COVID has been a godsend. Okay, uh, I know people will roll their eyes back and go what, but it's allowed me possibly for the first time in 30 years to really take a step back from what I do and how I work. And, you know, it's given me the time to realize that there must've been a kind of level of tunnel vision or living life with some blinkers on where you was just totally focused with the, the work you needed to do you know, on the road, being a tour manager, being a production manager, you know, event producer. I've done all different types of roles within our entertainment industry. And, um, yeah, the last 12, 14 months, I've really been able to take stock and, you know, sit back and go, I was bonkers. I must have been bonkers. And um, so we have to restart and we have to reset. And, and this is an opportune time for everybody. And if we don't actually take on board what we've all felt or learned in the last 12 to 14 months, then, you know, uh, I feel very, very sorry for the people who will be working in our industry going forward. You know, um, for me, to a man talking with agents, talking with managers, talking with promoters, they're all in an agreement that let's reset the way we work. Yeah, I agree. Uh, If, you know, everybody's true to the word, you know, then we can do it. And we, as tour managers, production managers, managers with that word management, in our job role, we're the ones who have to be the pioneers. You know, we're the ones who set the way the day unfolds, sets the schedule. We've got to start learning to put our foot down and going, that don't work anymore. Sorry, uh, you know, I'm a true believer that we can't step back and just return to work the way we used to because I've spent the last 12 or 14 months being busy, not being busy. And right. um, yeah. it's made me wonder, how did I do it? I don't, I don't know, you know. Yeah. You know, what I do know, um, or what I've come to realise, 
is up maybe two or three times, especially in the last five years. Maybe I got close to the edge with uh, physical and mental exhaustion, which I didn't realise. I didn't know. I didn't see the signs. I didn't understand. You know, um, Chris has been on the road with me, so he knows. You know, I have a, a, a tall cough, and I wonder if other people in our industry have a particular ailment that affects them when they're on the road. So what I've learned to realise is that my tall cough was maybe the fact that I was starting to become exhausted or stressed out. And that was a natural body reaction to that. But, yeah. you know, what we do is we plough through it, right? We just yeah. keep going and we keep going and we keep going and we keep going until we drop or we get home. And then when we get home, there's nothing left in the tank and the tank has to be refilled, refueled. And then we start to feel normal again after, you know, maybe a few weeks. Yeah. yeah, You know, I, I just hope that the senior people in our industry will all come together, all the stakeholders from the venue personnel, you know, up to the promoter, you know, everybody who has a stake in putting on a concert, putting on an event, get around the table and go, okay, how do we take care of people? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've done several things over the years and there's a few things I have in, in mind, some instances where, where it was irresponsible. You know, I, you know, I have acted irresponsible, but, you know, there was the schedule. Mm. And you need to produce the show and you need to do whatever necessary. I mean, I remember in the last few years, we were, it was a stadium tour in Europe where we finished loadout, went straight to the airport, landed and went straight to the gig. Yeah, listen, and, and, this was, and, and, and the sleep, the, the recovery was during the flight, you know? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and you know, and I, I've done that a few times and I know, uh, well, let me say that I've done that several times. And looking back at that now, it's just, what the fuck were we thinking, you know? Yeah, well, that's it. I think that's the acknowledgement. The first step is acknowledgement, okay? It's what we do because we're told, you know, the people who we respond to just go make it happen. Yeah. That's what we're there for. We're facilitators. Yeah. Make it happen. And that's what yeah. we need to do. But we also have a choice now. How do we make it happen? So my thing is if you are employing me, for my craft, my skill, my experience, and I'm saying that doesn't work. Well, if it's going to continuously fall on deaf, deaf ears, I need to make decisions. Mm-hmm. You no, know, we're not kids anymore. You know, when I understand when you're starting out and it's all an adventure and you're building your career and you're trying to get regular work and you're trying to establish yourself, yeah. You know, we know know managers, agents and business managers, the the bottom line is maximize your income. How can we make the most money? 
And by tightening up the schedule, having more shows in less days, this obviously makes the artist more money. You know, less time, less hotels for the crew, less payroll, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but some of these artists makes lots of money. I mean, they just do, they just make lots of money. And, you know, there's an old saying, there's nothing wrong with doing good. You know, <laughs> why don't we just focus exactly. on doing good exactly. and, and not, you know, taking every last, you know, nickel and dime that we can, that we can make. And, and to do well, that, you know, what's the schedule needs to be spaced out a little. It just of does. Course. Yeah. But, you know, also, as I say, listen, I, 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 I completely agree, but, you know, we're part of that mechanism. We're part of that mechanic because we make it happen. Yeah, we do. You know, listen, you know, how many times do you actually stand there and go, no, <laughs> no, we, no, it don't happen, right? You know, so maybe, you know, once in every tour when you know it's just physically impossible. You know, or that's, that's, listen, this is why we go to B rigs. This is why we go to C rigs. This is why sometimes we send in advanced riggers out, you know, or advanced crew out and we're going, right, you get out there the night before, you yeah. know, and you get everything set for when we get in, you know, yeah. because we're doing as much as we can, but the, the core team, we just have to be mindful of, you know, what we're doing to their existence, you know, their That's well-being, you know, their yeah. you know, we can hide around the money as much as we want. You know, we, you know, listen, some people say they do it because they love the music. Some people say it because they love the travel. Some people say it because they love the money. You know, people do this job and this work for many, many different reasons, you know, but as facilitators, as managers, you know, we have to do it for the right reasons and we have to do it with our teams of people that we work with, with their health and well-being at the forefront. And maybe now in 2021, you know, there is a mechanism where we can call it out, you know, yeah. and we stand in front of those people you know that make the final decisions and go it's wrong man it's wrong yeah. you know what i'm willing to step away yeah. you know well you, you know, know you, you, there, there's that angle and there's also you know let's let's try to be clever let's let's try to do things you know and i and i've, I've spoken with other production managers about this and on a show day, I'm not afraid of a hard day's work. You know, I, I'm not trying to say, well, I'm not going to do an 18 or 20 hour day. I only want to do a 14 hour day and that's all. No, I'm not, I'm not afraid of that. But you need recovery time on the back end of that. You do, you know, and I've, I'm a big fan of space in the day out, you know, with a rigors. You know what? I don't care. Rigors. You want to come in at 4 a.m., get it all done, get it all laid out, work, get the show in the air. And then you've got a nice break in the afternoon have a nap, whatnot, you know, and, and I've stopped martyring myself. I really, you know, you know, it's like, if the rigors are there, I've got to be there. Yeah. No, my, I, yeah. my, they're responsible. They can get themselves to the venue. They can get in the building. They can meet with the building. They can mark the floor, you know, and then when loading starts, then the stage manager and the carpenters and I come in, we're not, we don't need to martyr ourselves like that. Um, so, you know, that, that's one way of looking at it, spacing the day out so people get rest and then making sure 
you know, if I don't need you in the venue, you're either still sleeping on the bus or you're still in the hotel. I'm not going to make everybody come over first thing in the morning and, and stare at their truck that's still loaded for three hours, you know, <clears throat> you know, it's, so there's different ways of being clever. And, I, and I've been thinking about this for a long time. This is something that I think about. You have to think about it. You know, maybe it's selfish. Maybe I'm thinking about it for myself or maybe I'm thinking about it for everybody. But either way, we have to be clever. And these are just small instances or examples that I'm, that I'm showing, but there are ways to be clever, to be healthier, to be safer, you know? Yeah, it's education. You know, it's education. Educate yourself first and then try to educate other people. I think things are what you're talking about there, Chris. Sometimes you get pushed back off the crew. What do you mean you don't want me there? I've got to be there. You know, I've worked with crews and you go, listen, mate, coming at 12, 10 o'clock, they're there. They've made their own way. <laughs> they haven't even <laughs> waited for a runner. You know, they've made, they've snuck in the building and you're like, mate, uh, you know, so, because that's how this industry makes you. You know, yeah. it molds you. You become, you know, you... <laughs> We can be driven by the fear of we're only useful when we're useful. Mm. Well, I can and say something. If we're not to that. there and we're not doing something, you know what? Is someone else going to jump in that situation? Is somebody else? Is someone going to go wrong and are going to turn to somebody else and go, "Hey, I just need you to come and do this or do this," and then all of us, oh, I didn't know you could do that. You know, yeah. is, my, is my role under threat, my job under threat, my kudos under threat? Mm. So, you know, with all of, you know, sometimes trying to shape the crew and say to them, you know, take a bit of time out. You know, sometimes they're pushed back on it. For me, I think the most important thing we have to ask of anybody now who is routing and i'm speaking american here routing routing scheduling a tour um that please make the day off a day off and not a travel day right you know that's the key right i mean yeah. i looked at somebody's tour like a couple of months ago because we was doing a similar exercise and the production manager and I was chatting and I'm like, listen, you know, and I'm, I'm saying we need to start calculating how many hours people actually spend, mm -hmm. you know, at the venue, you know, because I personally would like to limit it, you know, to, to 15 hours maximum, yeah. you know. So if you go in at 9 a.m., you're gone by midnight. You know, um, you know, so he went, yeah, listen, I actually did that. And he sent me this schedule and the tour ran for 96 days. And in that 96 days, they actually only had six true days off. Oh, wow. 96 days. Now, some of the shows was back to back. Right. And some, some of them was, um, you know, two, three night runs in the same venue. But that still meant people still came in early. Yeah, of course. You know, so, you know, there, there, there wasn't where people and, you know, we can have our superiors going, yeah, well, you're doing a two day, three day run. You know, that doesn't stop you. You know, you know, mm. I know. We still go in there in the morning. 
We're right. getting up and we're still okay. Maybe it's a little quiet because also for the positions you're in, the positions I'm in and other people of our ilk, you know, we, we, we'll be advancing the next show or next week's right. show. You know, so for us, what I find is in, in that management position, you know, you're never really getting any time off. Because mm-hmm. even when you go home, you start advancing the next run of dates. You are. And, so and, you and, don't and, you know, let's just be honest. Well, let's be honest. We've got a complete production office set up in our hotel rooms on exactly. our desk office while we're... Exactly. But, you know, the, uh, whether it's your production manager, a stage manager, a rigger, a carpenter, a sound guy, whatever, you know, I mean, that's one of the things I love about this industry, though. People take pride in what they do. People love what they do. So that guy who comes in at 10 o'clock that didn't need to be there till noon, that was, that was you know, the love for what he does, the pride, the wanting to be there, the, the camaraderie, you know. Um, or the free breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> a free breakfast, there you go. You, 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 you know, you, you may have just summed it up. <laughs> there you go, oh. Or just to stop other people working and have a chat. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. if someone needs to be there, if someone needs to be there, they need to be there. I mean, there's that audio. There's 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 that one audio guy that has to be there first thing in the morning to do the cable bridge. You know, because you know the cable's got to go in the air and it's got to be there first thing. You need an audio representative, as an example. But you know, when you're done with that, go to the bus, take a break. You know, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, there are, I used the word martyr earlier. There are a lot of martyrs in our industry. Yeah, of they're just, they're just are, you know, but it's based on love and pride, you know, and, and it's kind of hard to fault somebody for that, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. No, listen, I agree, you know, but that, this is where the lines become blurred for me, Yeah. you know, because also there's that, you know, gungo attitude as well. You know, I can be the hardest, I can be the baddest, I can be the yeah. meanest, I can work the longest. Do I need sleep? No, I don't need yeah. sleep. Yeah. You know, I've worked with like, you know, guys, promoters and stuff and been in some dangerous countries and they've had security and you're talking with the security and he goes, oh yeah, so listen, I don't sleep for a week. You know, I'm good. I'm good. I can go, you know, 144 hours without sleep. Well, you're good and you're an idiot. You know, you're like looking at them like, right, okay. But, Uh, you know, in our industry, you know, we still have that as well, don't we? You know, Chris, because, you know, as a production manager, when people are leaving one venue to get to another venue it can be how quick can we get out yeah. you know if you're, on, you know, you're under the gun sometimes you're under exactly. the gun sometimes yeah because yeah. Of, so, because of your overnight drive yeah, yeah. So, so you get you we, get you get extra forklifts you get extra stage hands you get extra pushers you know you instead of loading two trucks at the same times so maybe you're loading four you, you 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 make you make adjustments to help you do that because you know let's just be honest these days in 2000 18, 19, 20, 21, the technology is so intense that you need the time. It's not, un, it's not taken out of the case, cabling it up, plugging it and turning it on. You know, it's, it's, that's the easy part as we've learned, you know, there's the, the technology, there's the lining up of projectors, there's the focusing, there's the infrared, there's all this shit that takes time in the dark for hours in the afternoon to 
give the artist and the design team what they want. So we're under the gun a lot. We're under yeah. the gun a lot. Hey, let me ask you a, a, a kind of a fun question. You know, do you, do you, do you remember? Because I, I do remember. What's the longest stretch of dates you've done in a row? Like how many gigs days in a row? I mean, do do you, do you remember? Um, no, uh, I, well, I wouldn't say dates in a row. I once we once did um, New Zealand, Australia, Japan. We did 16 shows in 22 days. Wow. And those, okay. and then you're flying, uh, you're flying international. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And jet and, lag. And, and, yeah. Yeah. And if you think going from the UK, you've lost two days to get to Australia anyway, right? Yeah. Sorry, to get to New Zealand. You know, you've lost two days anyway. Yeah. You know, and it was just me and one uh, backline guy. And we had 42 pieces of equipment that we was putting on the planes, by the way. Um, and we had three bands. Wow. So you, know? you and one other guy. Yeah. So, and, you were, uh, so you were sound guy, merch guy, accountant? Oh, we were we was all doing everything. It was mental. Wow. It was absolutely yeah. mental, you know. Those, and those listen, were the good old days, though. Those were yeah, the good that, old days. Yeah, that was nearly 30 years ago. Mm. And, and, and what I... Remember, which was quite funny, and I was like, this would never happen, is we arrived into Sydney and we was waiting for the equipment to turn up at the carousel. And they just come out and got me and said, hey, is it all your musical equipment? I'm like, yeah. He says, come. And they took me airside <laughs> in a truck, loaded it all on, Drove it out the airport to kind of where we had our vehicles waiting. No, that's actually and that was loaded. You know, when yeah. I was like, uh, "What?" Yeah. My my <laughs> longest stretch. It was in the early '90s doing heavy metal. I did 17 days in a row, 17 shows in 17 days. I don't know how we did it, but you know, you're you know, in the early '90s where you know was, we weren't even using moving lights. It was just kind of. You know, crank up towers and that kind of thing. Exactly. But that's that's the adventure part of it, right? You know, yeah. that's the old, that's the part you, you you really, really enjoy, you really, really love. Now you can look back and go, yeah, what did I do? You know, I, I've done um, a driving tour in Australia. Wow. You know, where we was just in uh, people carriers, and we was up and down that Gold Coast, right? You know, like for like two weeks, <laughs> you know. And um, yeah, that was you know a crazy one. Other crazy ones I've done. I flew to Japan, uh, one gig. Arrived at the airport, went through immigration, went straight to the gig. We did the sound check. We went to the hotel. We came back. We did the gig. And then we drove to the airport and got on the flight at like 8.30 the next morning. And I did a similar thing in San Francisco, from the UK to San Francisco as well. Right. You know, and you, you're like, yeah, that's bonkers. It's crazy. And people ask, well, uh, how, how was San Francisco, man? You know, they're, they're thinking you went to Alcatraz. Yeah. <laughs> like, like um, see was I in San Francisco? Oh, I was in San Francisco. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You don't even know sometimes where you are. 
Well, so, you yeah. know, as, as we like to do on this podcast, Matt and I like to, you know, we'd like to dive into people's history and, you know, maybe, you know, talk about, you know, what you're comfortable about in the beginnings. Like you're from Manchester, you live in, you live in rural Portugal now, you're an expat, but you're from Manchester where you've established a business and, uh, you know, and as, as that's, you work for Manchester bands growing up, right? Is that true? Um, well, I was around the Manchester bands. Yeah. The first kind of involvement I had, um, I would say was around about 1975. There was a, a, a reggae band in Manchester called A Taste of Honey. And I used to, you know, just help them set up their kit and everything. And they'd play around a few of the little pubs and clubs and kind of the um, Caribbean social centres around Manchester and the North West. Um, and yeah, that kind of was my first sort of involvement. And then my two cousins were doormen at a, a West Indian social club uh, called the Russell Club, which actually became the factory. Oh, so really? um, that's yeah, pre 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 um, the hacienda and all of that. So, you know, I was about 14, 15. This was punk rock days, 76, 77, you know, 78, you know, and we'd have uh, granddad shirts on and little things sewn into them and stuff. And I used to be able to go in. I was like 14, 15 at the time. And because my cousins was on the door, I just got a pass in there, you know. So I've right. seen quite a lot of bands there. And, you know, the guys who sort of started Factory Records, you know, that's where they kind of promoted the, the first few shows and stuff in there. Right. You know, and that was a great education, you know. Oh, well, so, um, Manchester during that period, I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's when, you know, Joy Division was conceiving. That's when the Smiths yeah. were conceiving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who else were some of the, 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 the popular acts of, of, of that era? Well, around Manchester then, it was very independent. You know, you had the form, you know, you had uh, the stems who became Simply Red. Um, I think Nico uh, was living in and around Manchester at that time as well. Um, but, you know, there'd be kind of club nights throughout the week. So there was another famous venue in Manchester at that time as well called Rafters. And they'd have a lot of sort of independent bands on there, you know, indie bands or punk bands, post-punk bands. You know, yeah, you would just go, listen, we worked on the basis the cool people went out in the week, not at the weekend. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's kind of... It's sort of my education and it went through to obviously from then it kind of drifted away in the uh, early 80s I, uh, I lived in America for 18 months nearly two years I remember you told me Houston, yeah. Texas uh, then I came back to the UK in like 86 and um, what, were, then, what were you drawn to back then were you just like a general dog's body or were you into backline? Were you into audio or you just had to learn it and know it all? To be honest, 
I don't know what I was into. I don't eat, still don't know. You know, I'm a, <laughs> listen, I'm a facilitator. If you go, oh my God, hey, we need, we need to do this. I'm like, yeah, okay, let's do it. You know, right. that's what right. I do. You know, I've always kind of wanted to pride myself on delivery, you know, gotcha. come to me and I'll deliver for you, you know? So I, I honest, I've never trained um, in audio, lighting, nothing. You know, put me behind a desk. Maybe I could switch it on. You know, uh, maybe, you know, maybe. Who knows right? how to turn on a digital console these days? I, I, I don't know. Is there a power switch? I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. So I've never, honest, I've never ever undertaken any training in any technical vocation. You know, and I've, yeah. I've been very clear with people, you know, where I've gone, listen, you know, like sometimes you bands give you their music, their albums and everything. And I'm, I've always been, listen, don't give it to me, mate, because, right. you know, I'm not going to give you an opinion. Mm. You know, you're, you're, <laughs> you know I, I kind of work on the basis like, listen, you know, I'm not getting blinded by your genius. And I think you and I have had this conversation on the road before, you know, where I, I, I mean, really, the, the, the shutters go up. You know, I go, listen, no, I'm not interested. Don't want to even listen to it, you know. And, um, you know, when a little bit with sort of the technical side as well, I'm like, listen, tell me what you need. I'll do my utmost to get you what you need. If I can't do it, I'll find the guy who can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Because I'm, no, go ahead, finish. You know, listen, I'm about, you know, I think the great skill, if you don't know, put your hand up, ask the question, you know, and and defer to the experts. So why, and I say this to people all the time, you know, why would you want me stood behind that desk when listening to what's going on, when there's a guy who's spent, you know, four years at university or locked himself underground for an amount of time to really get on top of that skill, mm. you know? Okay, so, so who, who was the first artist that, that, that you latched onto that maybe took you around England or maybe got you to the continent for the first time? Who? who well, the who, first who ones, uh, um, let me think. Well, yeah, the first one really was a, a Manchester band. I've got the, the picture up on my wall here now. It was called uh, uh, a hip-hop band called the Ruthless Rap Assassins. So that would have There's been... There's a name for you. ...kind of 1989, 1990. And how I came to work with them is I um, used to do merchandise i used to do t-shirts i actually had uh used to sell merchandise at manchester united at the the soccer club football club soccer club um i used to have a pitch outside the stadium and i used to sell t-shirts and stuff and then on occasion where in the area kind of grew up a little there was uh two brothers called the dinks who actually owned a bravado which was the merchandise, which was maybe one of the first merchandising companies. They started with like ACDC and stuff. Oh, Bravado. Um, They were huge for years. I don't know if they still exist. I don't even know. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. That in, in maybe another format, been bought out mm-hmm. by some multi multinational. So basically, we used to go away every now and again, you know, with their kind of team of merchandise sellers, and we'd go around the country to different gigs selling selling swag. Not always on the inside, you know, sometimes on the outside. But that's how it worked in those days. Um, So basically, I bumped into one of the guys, Anderson, uh, like five o'clock in the morning. I don't know if anybody knows what a shabeen is, but a shabeen is an Irish word for an illegal drinking den, which we had loads of them in Manchester uh, that we all used to frequent. So I think I was rolling down the stairs, you know, maybe a bit pie-eyed about five o'clock one morning and Anderson was coming up the stairs and it wasn't long after MTV started in the UK. Um, I said, oh, Anderson, I said, I saw you on MTV like maybe a week ago or something. He said, yeah, 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 yeah. I got, we got a band, you know, we got an album coming out and everything. I'm like, listen, let me print you some T-shirts. And he's like, yeah, okay, whatever, yeah. And uh, that was even before mobile phones, cell phones and stuff. So I had to track him down, you know, and they, um, you know, I got to print in them some T-shirts. So their first tour, which was in 1990, and they were supporting um, Tackhead which was, uh, I'll drop a few American names because these are still my close, close friends. Uh, Keith LeBlanc, who was a drummer. Uh, Doug Wimbish, who from yeah. Living Cumberland. Bass, bass player. The bass player. Skip McDonald, uh, guitar player. So they was three members of the Furious Five that was signed to um, Sylvia Robinson's label, Sugardale, right? Okay. So Mark, Mark Stewart, who was a, a Bristolian, you know, punk uh, guy, had brought them over to the UK. And sorry, Bernard Fowler was also in the band as well. He, he sings with the Rolling Stones. He's one of the backing vocalists with them. So he brought them over to the UK and uh, they joined up with a producer called Adrian Sherwood and, yeah, formed this band called Tackhead which was signed mm. to a label called SBK, which was on EMI, which our acronym for EMI was Every Mistake Imaginable. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the, 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 the Ruthless Rap Assassins went on tour oh. supporting Tackhead. Um, and the first ever gig was at Nottingham Rock City. Oh, wow. And that was when it was run by the Hells Angels. Right? Oh, yeah. They used to be the uh, I remember, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm selling T-shirts, one T-shirt a night. But, you know, being from Manchester, being the way I am, you know, I was uh, staying in the same hotel while the, the Rap Assassins was having to go home or wherever. I was staying in the same hotels that, like, Tuckhead was staying in. So we started to, you know, notice each other and say hi and stuff. And, yeah, it just kind of started to mushroom from there. So I did the, that tour. Then the Rap Assassins was going to Holland. 
to do a run of shows. And I was like, listen, I can drive, man. I'll drive you. You know, and then it was okay. So I organised the hotel. I rented a splitter from a company called CIR, uh, Gold Buses. There was Gold Splitter Buses. And, um, you know, I was talking with the owner the other day. You know, we go back 30 years, you know. And uh, it went from there. Yeah, so the swag guy, driver, you know, and just... Listen, I've done everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, I've, swag in those days, that's, you know, you, I mean, I'm sure there were days where you were walking around with a lot of cash and you were kind of going... There certainly oh, was. Yeah, certainly was. Lots oh. of pound coins. Oh, man. I'm sure you were... It was intimidating to walk around because I remember merch guys getting robbed. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, yeah. You know, there, there were syndicates that knew what was going on, and I've had merch yeah. trucks get pulled over by phony policemen and, and yeah, gave, yeah, give me the briefcase, you know, kind of, kind of yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that was that. That's that's the thing. Back then, it was all cash. Everything was cash. It was yeah. the band's fee was cash. Yeah, you know, everybody was picking cash up. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you, you know, you'd be paying your crew cash. Mm-hmm. You know. So one of the tricks I used to do um, <laughs> back kind of early 90s when I was also working with some of the dance bands and doing raves and stuff, you know, and you'd go up to Scotland. We used to like, I used to work with a band called Shades of Rhythm. Um, we'd go to Scotland like three weekends out of four and we'd just, we'd do two, three gigs a night you know, in different underground clubs there. Wow. You know, and, and you you get paid cash and everything. And I had my crew and, you know, like the, on the Sunday, I'd be paying everybody. And if somebody pissed me off, you know, I'd be giving them like Scottish five pound notes. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, go and spend that down the old Kent Road. Because in London, they didn't want any Scottish fries. I know, that's happened to me when you I was know? a kid. I remember a guy looking at this going, throwing it back at me. Yeah, it's funny. So, exactly. so you, so, so you're, you're, you're one of the, you know, top most respected tour managers in, in our industry, Europe, whatever. What, what, what was the, where did you, what do you point as the time where you really thought tour managing was your thing and like, okay, I like this, I can do this, you know, or were you a production manager first? No, listen, I don't know what I was, right? I still don't know what I am. Right? <laughs> listen, I'm I, honest. It's, I just want to do the job. Yeah. Listen, where I come from, <laughs> I have to give you a little bit of history about the UK, right? So, I left school in 1977, 78, 77. Um, in 1979, there was a big change of government in the UK, right? And they destroyed all the unions, all the jobs, all the every industry. Yeah, that, was, that was Thatcher, right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So we went from being able to get work to having no work, right? So, listen, you know, you, you, you lived a life where you was ducking and diving and you was doing whatever you needed to do, you know, to survive and do what you needed to do. So, you know, I'm brutally honest, you know, getting involved and obviously much later, you know, 
13 years later, you know, getting involved with the bands and being able to get involved within the music industry was the way out. You know, so I just took to it and just went, you know, I just realised, listen, I'll put my head down and I'm going to do this. You know, and there was friends of mine that, you know, I said, listen, you want to come and do this, man, get involved, let's do this, let's, you know, when they realised the hard work, when they realised the hours, when they realised how many times you'd up and down the highway, the motorway, you know, you know, living on sandwiches, not eating properly, you know, there wasn't any sex, drugs and rock and roll, you know, all the things that would appeal to them. Uh, and for me, I just put my head down and went, you know what? This is this is my way out. This is right. my way to build something for myself. You know, I left school with no qualifications. You know, I didn't go to college. I didn't go to university. You know, yeah. and this was my way out. Yeah, uh, me, too. Uh, me, too. me too. You know, so I just took to it and went, okay, whatever it is, you know, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Yeah. You know, and, and admittedly, maybe the first few years, you know, I was that, you know, lunatic from Manchester, you know. <laughs> but as you get older, as you mature, as you start to understand the business, how it works in the industry, you know, you start to feel more comfortable within it. Right, right. You know, so so, so, so whatever you want to title it, whether you want to call it production manager, you know, tour manager, tell me some of the, you know, tell me about some of the artists that really got you into professional touring, like into, okay, I'm on the bus now. I've got a budget. We've got money to spend. We can design a production. What, 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 what t- tell, me, well, tell me about those, tell me about those years. Yeah. So, you know, so we went, obviously, so the rap assassins, we did that, um, and then we moved on to, uh, and then Tackhead, and basically Adrian Sherwood is the man I have to thank, you know, for every single day I'm blessed that I met Adrian, you know, and we're still good friends now. We still talk every so often now. Um, and he just took a shine to me, you know, and he just said, we finished the, this, the tour, went back to Manchester, and, you know, he just said, listen, if you come down to London, you know, come visit, you know, come come see my studio, you know, come and hang out. And I was like, yeah, all right. And then I did go to London to watch a soccer game because I'm a big Manchester United fan. And I used to go all over the world to watch him. So I went to, went to London for this game and I rang him up and said, listen, I'm coming down for the game, you know, can I come round? Is that offer still on the table? And he went, yeah, of course. You know, so I went round and um, he lived in uh, Muswell Hill then at the time. And he had a, like a, a studio in his living room. Mm-hmm. And basically Adrian was the owner and producer for the record label, which was called On You Sound, which was primarily a dub noise label. Okay, so I'll just reel off some of the artists that was on the label. Some people might know, might not know. So we had uh, Dub Syndicate, Creation Rebel, Mark Stewart and the Mafia, 
Gary Clayle, African Head Charge, uh, Lee Perry would do stuff on occasion, Little Annie. Um, yeah, and, and Tackhead, you know. And uh, so basically, Bim Sherman, forgive me, Bim. And uh, so basically, after I stayed in London for a few days with Adrian, and then in 1991, um, they was doing a tour called Escape to Victory. And um, Adrian said, listen, come on the tour with us, you know, do a bit of merch, look after people, you know, whatever, whatever. Right. And that's how it was. Yeah. Whatever, whatever. You know, it was like even today, you know, I call Adrian and go, what are you doing? And he might be, might be listen, I've got a few DJ gigs. I go, I'll organise them for you. You know, I don't want any money. Let me just sort them out. So it's organised. And he goes, no. Right. Because it was disorganised. It was complete dysfunctional. I mean, we had... Uh, Rastafarians, Little Annie was from the New York punk scene. If people, you know, Google do stuff with Little Annie, I mean, amazing woman, amazing voice, just out there. Uh, we had Jesse Ray, um, who used to walk around in a full suit of armour with a sword, you know, and he would come down to London from Scotland and he'd park outside Adrian's house in a like Land Rover with a horse box on the back of it. And he would sleep in the horse box and it'd just be like, I knew sleep in London. I don't, you know, and he'd have like, in his horse box, he'd have his like stuff from his land in Glasgow, in, in sorry, in Scotland. And that's, you know, that was him. I sleep on Scottish bedding. You know, and it was mental because he'd, he'd, he'd knock on the door about seven o'clock in the morning with a bucket of piss. I need to tip this, you know. And like, <laughs> we, you know, we go down Muswell High Street and he's walking around in a full suit of armour. This is 1991, you know, and people were just like, Jesse Ray, Jesse Ray, there's a track by Odyssey called Inside Out multi-million pound uh, you know selling track which Jesse Ray wrote you know um, so yeah you know I mean it was the best education I could yeah. ever have and I, I ended up basically tour managing all of the artists on the label running the recording studio you know along with uh, a, a couple of other people that was in, in the organization you know bobby marshall as well was the main sort of lead tour manager some of these tours we had 53 musicians you know um, wow i mean the show our show would be five hours you know and yeah so, and we'd have these musicians interchanging between the bands and stuff. You know, one of our, I think, you know, yeah, also in 91, we did Glastonbury. We had like a four hour, five hour window in Glastonbury where we just took it over, you know. So, yeah, that's, that was kind of my education. So now you're, so, so you're, you've gone from there and you've obviously learned what you're doing. 
our, our relationship. We met working for Massive Attack. You were, you were, you were, you hired me a few years ago, and still one of the greatest experiences in my life. And uh, I would, I would be sad if I thought that I could never do that again. Um, but you worked for Massive Attack for for several several cycles. You know how how yeah, how, how long yeah twenty how years twenty years. Yeah. Well, no, sorry, it's a lie now because of COVID. Twenty one years. <laughs> 21 years right so what will you know you know so like back 20 years ago with massive attack i mean they've all, oh, they've always been you know on the forefront of, of of what they do and they're they're a very important act you know in, in the in the in the in the scheme of things and as far as music is concerned you know um so t- tell me a little bit about it well listen they're, they're, they're great guys again you know I just I have to say I'm blessed to be able to meet people like that and work with people like that. Um, I got the gig by I think a stroke of luck. You know I don't don't really know how I got the gig. Um, I was chatting to a travel agent who I work with, and she said, "Oh yeah, one of the other bands that we do travel for are looking for a tour manager. Would you be interested?" And I went, yeah, yeah, fine, yeah, yeah, put me up for it, you know. And she put me up for it, and then I got a call. Uh, I had a meeting in Manchester with their production manager, you know, then I had another meeting in London with their manager in the band, you know, and I was like, yeah, fine, let's do it, you know. So I did my first run with them was um, summer of 99. Um, we did a festival run. Uh, and yeah, we've just, you know, we've just been rocking it ever since, really. You know, we have our moments, you know, we, 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 some days we love each other, some days we don't love mm. each other. I'm a just type of person where I'm all in, you know, mm. I don't, you know, I'm like, I'm in, you know, uh, I want to be part of it. I want to say my piece. And, I, you know, I say to people, listen, I just say my piece and I know some things I'm going to say, some things I'm going to do, you're not going to like, but, you know, I'm just trying to be honest, you know, and I try to keep things simple as much as I can, because also what I've learned over the years is that, listen, you know, the people you work with at any morning, yeah, any point can just decide they don't love you anymore. And then it's over. It happens. You know, it happens. so I just, I, I've just something always, new and shiny that they want, you know. Exactly. You know, I've just gone, well, wh- why do I need to change? Mm. Yeah. You know, so but, I'm going to be me. 20, you know, 20 years and, with, with, with Massive Attack is just, you know, that's, that's incredible. Because I mean, in 99, they're probably, they're still working off the mezzanine, original mezzanine. Yeah, well, yeah, 99 was the back of like the biggest selling album. Yeah, yeah. And um, then you, you and know, I, right. 20 years later, do the 20th yeah. anniversary tour. So exactly. you've, you've taken it, you know, full circle. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, they're also a band that are not prolific in their releases, yeah. you know. But, you know, they're also credible enough that they can tour without new music. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, they're, you they're, know? they're, they're different. You know, it's, is it a band? Yeah. You know, is it art? Yeah. But it's, it seems it's more than music and it's more than art. I mean, it's almost there's almost like a message that they're trying to, to 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 push. You know, it's almost like a movement in some respects. You know, 
Uh, Robert Del Naya, who's the, you know, half, the other half of Massive Attack along with uh, Grant Marshall, um, he's been pushing a really interesting agenda lately. And I know you've, I know you've been watching it, you know, what he's been doing in, uh, in Liverpool and with parliaments and, you know, he wants to, he wants to try to do a carbon neutral event. Yeah, well, it's, is you know, he's a challenger and he's a disruptor, you know, and that's, that's, he wants to remain, you know, on the edge. Yeah. You know, he wants to, you know, he has an edge and he, he would always keep his edge, you yeah. know, and that's what he's about, you know, yeah. it, and that's what he makes the band about. Yeah. And well, each each cycle, each touring cycle, you know, we always have that edge. Yeah. Well, well as, a, as a tour manager and, and you're working with an artist that wants to do something carbon neutral, you know, which is a challenge in 2021. It's a challenge. I, th- I really think we can get there. Whether we, whether a show can be completely carbon neutral, you know, even, even the even the batteries that you're going to use to power the show or the windmills or whatever, those have to get to the site, you know. So you're going to be burning some sort of fossil fuel at some point, you know. But uh, I really admire I really admire his uh, his drive because he's he's putting his money where his mouth is, you know. And you know the event we did, we did a two, we did two nights in Bristol where we did that mm-hmm. uh, built that tent out by the old uh, airfield, yeah. and yeah. we, you know, even there, there started to show signs of of, of you know what his where his mind is going. All the vendors did vegetarian food, you know, everybody, you know, there was several vendors there, whether it be pizza or or gyros or whatever, but you know that was all vegetarian style, and and I really admire that. I really admire that. That was a very interesting event to, to, to do a show out of nothing. I mean, of course, there's festivals that do it, you know, that every year after year, but they've got an infrastructure. This was created out of nothing. Here's the space. Find the tent. Find ways to get people there. Find the, the toilets, you know, find, find everything. You know, it, 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 was, it was done from scratch. And I thought it was pretty impressive, you know. I always, I always, you know, always love seeing a, like a city bus, there's a city bus going down the street full of people and the little light flashing across the front of it says massive attack. Instead of saying, you know, the high street or whatever, it says yeah. massive attack. Yeah. So there yeah. were massive attack buses, which I thought I took a picture of one of them. I thought it was fantastic. You know, so that, that, that was a really great, really great few days out there. You know, I was really, I'm really proud of what we were able to accomplish. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, those ideas and those things, uh, take their time you know and again as well as a band it's all the stakeholders as well you know that get on board and buy into what the vision is you know and we all need to to you know keep pushing forward it's it's like now we're talking about sort of carbon neutrality you know trying to do events and reduce whatever footprint we're creating what I try to say to people is, listen, you know, if you toured pre-COVID, if you're going to tour post-COVID, and you can reduce your footprint or your emission by 15%, 20%, and that can be replicated by each show. And if we think globally, in the height 
of touring, there could be 10,000 shows taking place across the world, right? Yes, you know? I agree. Yeah. So if any given day, all of those shows have reduced by 15%, well, that's mm -hmm. a massive amount. Yeah. You know, I think, as you say, you know, I'm not sure now whether we have the technology, you know, to be able to make it absolutely zero, okay? Yeah. But we have to take these small increments. Like if you can reduce in 2021 or 2022 by 15%, and then in 23 and 24, you can reduce by another 15%. You know, yeah. they're massive amounts. But the original way that you have to look at the show, you have to start from the design. The Agreed. design takes everything. Agreed. So unless you can get show designers on board, you know, in, in the early days... And you start looking at what can be used, what can be upcycled, recycled, you know, redeployed after the tour, you know. And that's how you have to start to build it. And I think also kind of what we also have to look at, and one of the things I say to, to nearly all the artists that I work with is, listen, you know, I'm not on the stage, right? You know, I can do everything up until the bottom of those stairs. But once you walk up those stairs, you're on there and you're on your own. So for me, I need to know that you're happy with what you stood in front of. And if you can say to me, yeah, I'm good with it. Fantastic. Mm. You know, I'm always, you know, I've talked to a couple of artists in the past, you know, about really just stripping everything back you know why don't we go raw again you know you've been out with this big setup you've been out why don't we just go raw yeah and gradually build it back mm. well it is you about know? the music i mean it's the music exactly. is first it is first i mean you know that's exactly. some of my favorite shows from when i was a kid we're a band on, on a club stage with a fucking light bulb above them, you know, yeah, that I remember yeah, yeah, yeah. because the music was so impactful, you know, yeah. but I don't know. Well, it's, we'll, you know, we'll one of the things, yeah, one of the things I say to, to people all the time, and I don't, you know, and I, I, listen, I'm, I'm happy to be proved wrong, but I've never met an individual that can focus on music, lights, video, dancing you know everything that takes place on the stage there could be four or five six elements taking place all at the same time i don't know how many people in that audience are embracing and totally focused on all of those elements yeah. you know your mind drifts you know your thoughts wonder you yeah. know, when you're zoning on, on one thing, you know, when you, your ears close, you right. know, and the music drops down, you know, yeah. by a number of dBs because you're focused on watching what's going on on the screen or right. what the right. writing guys it's, it's do. Eye, it's eye candy. It's, 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 exactly. it's, 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 it can be too much. I mean, it's, you know, it's some of the big pop shows, you know, that's, 
where they just have it all, you know, from, yeah. you know, dancers to props to, to IMAG to big imagery. I mean, yeah, it, it can be too much. It can, it can be, but yeah, that, that is, you're, you're right. It does start with the designers, but actually one step, you know, the designer, production manager, tour manager, manager, business manager needs to be able to approach an artist with this in mind and say, Hey, this is what the, the new ethos should be. This is what we should be aspiring to do and to become, you know, cause you got to get the artist to agree. And I, and I think they will, I think they will not only, but you know, they're going to be driven by, 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 by social, their social values. And they're going to be driven by, you know, they will be judged. There will be people judging you, you know, maybe there weren't in, in 2019, but in 2022, the people are going to be looking at you. They're going to be looking at how many trucks you have and how many people and how big your show is. And you're going to be judged, you know, <clears throat> do you, do you, do you, do you see carbon taxes? heading towards our industry? Um, I, I don't think we'll see carbon taxes. I think what we will see is a vehicle that, that offsets. And whether that vehicle truly offsets, <laughs> you know, I don't know because I don't know if people actually know enough at the moment. You know, we, at the moment, we have a lot of data. We have a lot of um, information. We have a lot of scientists, but nobody's actually gone. Okay, this is the tour I'm doing, you know, and this is the way we're doing it. You know, again, I'll speak for Massive Attack. Um, our 2020 tour, which has obviously been postponed um, across the summer, we had 22 shows lined up and I was able to do 15 shows by train. Two shows needed a bus and five shows we needed to fly. Hmm. So that That's, was, yeah. you know, and that was band and crew movements. Yeah. If you can make that work, that's great. Yeah. But, you know, the, the hard part is only needing a bus here and there because, you know, buses, yes. buses are hard to find for a tour, never mind just for a, a weekend, you know. So, you know, the, the, that is, you know, but, but you're adding ground transportation to and from the train station. You're, you're you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. This, this needs to be. But then, you, you know, what you're doing, you know, obviously, you know, you know Julie very well. You know, uh, Julie Ju and I Julie have Cotton. spent, you know, a few few hours rewriting the rider, you know, going, okay, this is no longer acceptable. Yeah. We want to know, is there electric vehicles? You know. For runners, this, you mean, or, 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 or transport. For runners, yeah. for, runners for, for ground transport. Yeah. You know, we're, we're talking about, you know, uh, we will now inform you how much of the ride do we want. You know, so, so much waste. So, so exactly. Much waste. So we we will now take it upon ourselves to clear the dressing room after each gig and only replace what we don't have. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the beauty of tour catering too. Yeah. You know, the, 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 exactly. That, that helps too. You know, we're, we're talking like you know, no after show food. 
Yeah. You know, just, you, can eat it, you know, I mean, I've had this yeah, conversation. Exactly. I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a dressing room to take a shower at the end of the night after loadout and the after show food is just all over the dressing room, uneaten, yeah, yeah, yeah. a bite taken out of it. And you just end up throwing it all away. It's just, you know, the, it's meal numbers, it's after show food. It's, it's, we've, you know, heavy emphasis needs to be played because catering, and I've said this before on this podcast and I'll say it again, catering is an area we can focus on. That is something we can mm -hmm. do right now. We can't hire electric trucks and buses yet but we can focus on catering and there's little tiny things we can do. You know, you've, you've seen, I'm sure you've seen the 10 easy wins, you know, the, the all, yeah, all cool. those, it's, it's, it's yeah. all little tiny, but brilliant ideas. And yeah, as and you know, working in this industry, lots of little things add up to a big thing. Exactly. So that's, that's why I'm trying to say to people, you know, in the rush to, to become more carbon friendly, you know, just don't think you've got to be 100%. You know, look at it accumulative. Yeah. You know, let the little things, you know, yeah. take take effect. Because if the little things are done by everybody, the little thing becomes a big thing. You know, and we, we've talked again about, you know, meat-free days, you know, a vegetarian day. Yeah. You know, beef-free days. Local food, no. local food, everything needs to be local, local drinks. Yeah. Hey, so another another artist you've had a, a long relationship with is, uh, you know, the, 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 the former Joy Division mob, you know, tell me, tell me, tell me about your, 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 your long relationship with, uh, with those guys. Well, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't say long, but obviously because of, in and around Manchester, I've known of and around them. I actually started working with them in, I think, 2017. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so this is we're talking about the New Order, of course. Yes. Yeah. So they did a. So basically, there's there's a arts festival in in Manchester every two years called Manchester International Festival. And, um, don't, don't you have, uh, don't you have something to do with that as well? I mean, yeah. Well, I used to. I don't now because I'm living in Portugal. But I used to be part of the technical production team right. for it, and I uh, would pretty much look after all their kind of rock and roll shows. Okay, which the art world doesn't understand, or you know, the the function is the same, but the language is different. Yeah. So basically, they um, Manchester International Festival commissioned New Order and Liam Gillick to come up with a show uh, for the 2017 edition. You know, and I was brought in to oversee the technical production of it. Nice. You know, um so that was kind of my involvement with them and then you know that led to them asking me to be their production manager you know on the last kind of two years okay. touring cycles um so yeah yeah listen it was amazing it was you know as everything with manchester international festival it was a bit bit stressful you know, and a bit like, okay, you know, because it is about 
putting square pegs into round holes. And I say to people, listen, um, go online, have a look at it. You know, New Order, Manchester International Festival, Liam Gillick, so it goes. You know, it, it was an amazing show, you know, absolutely amazing. You know, we did it in an old TV studio. And then, um, you know, it, it, it did get uh, webcasted as well, mm. you know. Uh, well, you, you were supposed to do a, a New Order tour last year as well. I remember you and I talked about it. Was it like a co-headliner with the Pet Shop Boys or something like yeah. that? Yeah. So basically... Um, Was it we, Pet Shop Boys? Did I get that right? Yes. So I'm going to flip the story around a little bit. So um, we were supposed to go to Japan and Australia at the beginning of um, twenty. And obviously, you know, late December, early January, we started hearing these COVID stories, or it wasn't even called COVID, whatever it was, Chinese flu, whatever, you know, there was there was uh, talking or naming it at that time. And then, um, so we got into January, we was due in Japan, mid to late February, and then on to Australia. So we got into January and I'm watching the news, looking at China Daily, English-speaking newspaper, you know, looking at the um, Japan's English-speaking newspaper and stuff, and obviously started to see it was bouncing its way across to Japan. And, and with New Order, you know, they're not a young band. They've been going for 40 years. Mm. So I'm chatting to the management about this and I'm saying, listen, you know, we just need to keep an eye on all of this. And uh, I think we got to about February 10. And I said, I think in a week we need to make a call on what we're doing. Um, so we ended up cancelling Japan and uh, we, we, we kept the Australian tour on. So we went out to Australia you know, we and we ended up, we was out there like a week and we ended up cancelling the last show in Melbourne. We did one show in Melbourne and we cancelled the second show, which was the Sunday of the weekend that the uh, Australian Grand Prix got cancelled. So that's when it all started to clamp down. Um, and uh, yeah, we flew home uh, sort of as quick as we could after that. I didn't um, sign up to do the New Order Pet Shop Boys tour because recently moving to Portugal and trying to change my life and my way of working, mm. I was trying to limit myself to 10 weeks a year touring, you know. So I did um, New Order at the beginning of the year and... So I want to jump back. 2019 was a pretty full-on year for me. I think I did maybe eight months of the year on the road. Yeah. So I was pretty fucked. And then, did, uh, you know, thing, yeah. exactly. So we finished September, end of September in, in, in New York, right? Right, Radio City, yeah. Yeah, and then um, I came back to the UK, packed all my house up, and we moved to Portugal at the end of October. So I had a month at home to kind of pack everything and deal with everything, and then we drove out to Portugal. Um, so, yeah, I was pretty fucked, really. And um, 
So I said, right, you know, I, I'll do new order. Massive Attack had their summer lined up for 2020. And I thought, you know what, that's enough. So one of my dear friends, a great production manager as well, called uh, Wes Richard Waring, mm-hmm. you know, who had done new order in the past. Um, I spoke to Wes and I just said, listen, you know, six weeks in America ain't going to work for me, mate. I'm living in Portugal. You know, I'm trying to limit how much work I do. You know, it's unfair on my wife, you know, to to move to a new country and then I'm gone for like six weeks. You know, will you you take it over? And he's like, yeah, you know, fine, I'll do it, you know. So... What's your what's your what's your future then? I mean, are my you, future. Are, yeah, what's your future in our industry? Um, at the moment, if I'm honest, you know, I have one foot through the door, and I have one foot in the last hurrah. So I um, will sit and wait to see what develops over the next year. You know, you know, between now and the end of 2021, um, I will see what New Order plan to do. Uh, if Massive Attack planning to do the tour in 2022, I'm going to be 60 years of age, summer 2022. So I think that's my last hurrah. You know, okay. I might not even make it. I might not even make it. I might have took the decision by then. Well, you know, you're, also, you're enjoying yourself. And, 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 yeah, you know, well, listen, the thing chapter is... chapter of your life in Portugal. Yeah, I, know, I, I also have a crew company that yeah. I run. So when I'm out, you know, touring, you know, i am also got another business. And the yeah. thing for me and the crew company is it's about, you know, the main couple of reasons are to give my peers and the people that I work with in the industry, you know, listen, I know what it's like in the morning (laughs) at Mm -hmm. a gig. Yeah. And I'm just trying to do something that I know about. And And I, if I can make it a little bit easier for people, yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah. Well, you know? let, let, let's uh, talk about your, your company, DNG, out of, out of Manchester. You've got a labor company that you've got guys in London, you've got guys in Manchester. Um, tell me a little bit about that company. Well, listen, it was something we started in 2013, you know, and the idea was, and, you know, a few people that will listen to this will go, yeah, you've, you've talked about leaving for years you know, but I think what you have to understand in our industry, you, you can get in pretty easy. Getting out is real hard, you know. Mm. And uh, because it's like, to me, it's like the military, you know, you become conditioned, you know, it's a way of life, you know. For what I try to say to young people, our industry is a it, it's not a career choice it's a lifestyle choice yeah it's you know is. and you 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 need to find you know i think we all are friends family acquaintances that we've known most of our life that have no fucking idea what we do yeah 
you know, because that's what it is. It can be yeah. a bit of a closed shop if you're if if your only understanding of the the music industry is MTV or YouTube or going to a gig, you know, that's all you know. You know, you get you got the output. You know, we we deal with the input. Mm. You know? So. I've always been, and I've always thought, listen, if I'm a tour manager, production manager, and part of what I do, my greatest skill is planning. If I plan for other people, why would I not plan for myself? So I thought, you know what, I'm, you know, I'm at some point, we can no longer do it. You know, I remember seeing the old school when I first started, the guys in the 50s and the 60s, you know, um, tour managers, production managers, roadies, you know, curled up a little bit in the corner or like, oh, could you not move my pencil? Please just leave my <laughs> pencil there. Because, you know, we take on as we work within this industry and do all these shows and all this, we take on little idiosyncrasies, you know, and a lot of us can have, you know, different levels of OCD. Mm. Um, and I just always thought, you know what, I don't want to get to that. You know, I don't want to get to that. So I've always been mindful of, you know, when, when do I stop? And, you know, going back to when I spoke about how I got involved in the business. So the first kind of, junction to stop was 40 years of age right and um i did go and try to do other work but what would happen as soon as i agreed to do something else for some magical reason my fax machine would come through with a like four-week tour or something you know and i'd be like so i kind of thought you know what i'm meant to do this right so then you know, my next kind of point of stopping was at 50 and that just fucking went by the by. And so, you know, I think 60, 60 is a good, good age. You know, I, I don't want to do long hours anymore. And I don't want to do all the travel. You know, I'm very conscious and worried about how we return to work because some of us, haven't been put into intense pressure situations for the last 14 months, 15 months. Some of us haven't stood in an airport with 25 people trying to check them in the last 14, 15 months. Some mm -hmm. of us haven't been carrying, you know, 50 pieces of luggage, you know, with us. You know, some of us haven't had to pay attention to a schedule. And I'm kind of like thinking for my own health and well-being, you know, I'm not sure how I'd respond. I don't know mm. how I'd respond. Yeah. So maybe, you know, it's just a natural progression, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I think one last around with Massive Attack, maybe, um, on, but, you know, no, I don't have that love, Chris. You know, and the people I speak to go, no, you never will. You know, listen. What, what would happen to Horace Sandy without you? 
You know, he's going to like well, wander well, off into the distance and no one's ever going to find him again without you. It's, well, yeah. most probably like he's wandering off now. Horace <laughs> yeah. yeah. Andy is well, one of the singers from Massive Attack, this, this old yeah, Rasta but, guy that's just yeah, kind but, of on his own planet. Listen, what I learn is, you know, the world still turns. I ain't it, it, it does. It does. The world still turns. It'll go, yeah. you know, on without me. Yeah, you know, I, I say that all the time. I say, you know what, the gig is going to happen exactly. without me. It's just going to happen. Yeah, yeah, there's too much at stake. You know, the the most difficult thing for everybody else is that relationship building, somebody new. Yeah, you know, as I, I, I say that sometimes to bands, I go, listen, you know, I'm not sure I want to do it, and it, it's the shock horror of like, you mean we need to start again with somebody new. You know, because all of a sudden, you know, and um, forgive my language, you know, the bands are very conscious that these people turn up and think they're cunts. You know, so, you know, some people know we might cunts. think that. We, exactly, we might know that. But, you know, we've learned to live with that cunt. You know, yeah. someone else coming through the door. So it's, yeah, I don't, I, you know, I am, um, I'm here, I love it, you know, yeah. I go walking, yeah. you know, I yeah. walk my dog twice a day. Yeah, and, and, and you know, look um, incredible. I mean, for those know, of you who yeah. Dave Lawrence, you know, you, you know, he's, he's, you know, he lived a road life and now at home, you know, I said, last time I saw you, I said, hey, you look like you're ready to run into the football pitch. You look incredibly well and fit. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't think, you know, kind of, I've lost like 22 kilos. I don't think I would have managed it on the road. Because we, we, you don't we, we have, can't. We can't. You know, our, we our don't, habits we don't are don't shit. We have exactly. poor habits. Yeah. You know, I mean, you you know, how many times have you gone into catering to sit down with a plate of food? It, it was out of boredom because it was time to eat. You weren't even hungry. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, the yeah. lot, there's a lot of habits that, you know, where, yeah. or you get on the bus and you have a beer or a glass of wine and a slice of pizza. It's like, uh, I don't need to be doing this, but I'm doing it because it's what you do. Exactly. You know, it's, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. So, yeah, so you know, listen, um, what I would really dearly love to do, you know, is just trying out the next generation and pass right. on what I know, what I've learned, you know, and see if I can, because there's no book. You know, you've got to learn this as you go along. You've got to learn you from do. mistakes. Yeah. You know, you've got to, you know, as you know, Chris, you know, planning is the key. You know, and one, again, one of the other things that makes me feel now's an opportune time is that with COVID and with the emphasis on health and well-being on tour, uh, and I'm a really big supporter that we should now be creating this position for somebody to be on the tour who has sole responsibility for potentially any COVID protocol and also should be a trained first aider. Also, they should be trained in mental health. You know, that we... Uh, can have this person and that's their responsibility because when we return to work and people turn around and go, I need you to do this, I need you to do that. If we 
know and acknowledge that we never had that time in the first place, how, how are we supposed to do it? Mm. And that's what that's what worries me most of all, is that the people are just going to come back to us and go like, yeah, you need to do this, you need to do that. You know, and, you know, we haven't got, the, we, we never had the time in the first place. Yeah, I agree. So where are we making this extra time? I think this is what Matt's going to talk a lot about with his and his event with Nick Gosling coming up. Mm. You know, uh, you know, because I, I think it's important. You know, Matt, uh, do you do you? I know we we had a conversation about it. Are you are you are you are you are you thinking of how you're going to run that course or that class? Are you gonna Are you gonna What do you think yeah, you're gonna, mean, What are you going to bring to that? Yeah. So. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot about it and, and how do I repackage my message for, you know, this demographic and, you know, even listening to David speak and kind of picking up on some ideas as far as, you know, how can I best bring myself to support um, these individuals? Um, yeah, because it's, it's, it's such a radical change to 99% of the world's like habits um, you know, living on the road and, and the food available and the sleep schedule and the physical demand and the fact that there's no sick days. And yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. it, it's going to be more of an organic kind of thing. I have my notes. I'm building an outline. Yeah. I'm just going to see how it unfolds. But And, and, and you have really, experience too. You know, Dave, Matt and I did a Janet Jackson tour in 2008 and, and uh -huh. Matt was a carpenter on the tour. And, you know, we're carrying a stage. He's slinging decks. He's, he's doing heavy carpentry work. And very early on in the tour, he slipped a disc in his back. And I had to watch him struggle through weeks of weeks before we actually had to throw in the towel and, and get him to see a doctor. That was, uh, that yeah. was a tough period. Well, I mean, I think the important thing for me to do is definitely... Um, share my story on not just, you know, rupturing a disc in my back and, you know, I, they, you know, because of work-related injuries, they're going to do therapy before they do anything else. And I mean, I spent, you know, six, eight months on painkillers, you know, and before they're like, okay, well, you know, so I got, I had a, a problem develop with that. And, you know, it, you know, and that play, pays a toll on family life. Um, you know, having a dad, you know, I had three young kids at that time and, um, you know, being in pain and, not having my head screwed on right. And, you know, it, it's, um, it, it's a slippery slope and there's this domino effect that you got to take care of yourself now and you got to address things early because if you don't, then it compounds the issue. And I think that that's a big problem in one, the industry, because nobody wants to be sent home. So they suck it up. And then two men in general are the last ones to be proactive and taking care of themselves. Right. Um, you know, let's just face it, we probably take better care of our cars than we do ourselves in some respect, you know, as far as changing the oil and changing tires and shit like that. It's that stiff upper lip thing. Yeah, that, you know, that, 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 uh, <laughs> but I, I think that once people start to share their story, share their struggles, and, and it turns into a, hey, a, a, you know, me is me too on that one. And you know, like that happened to me or I understand. And I think a lot of us, you know, kind of suck it up. And, um, you know, and it beats us up and, you know, and, and I worry about, you know, longevity in the profession and, um, and let's just face it, you spend 20 years in the industry and say something does happen to you in your forties or fifties, and then you do something happens to the point where you can't go back. What are you going to do? Where's your skill set there? And then, um, the yeah. amount of stress and anxiety that it puts, puts on someone. So, 
Yeah. Um, really, I'm going to take the approach that people in this industry are high performance athletes and they get paid very well. Um, and, and it can be an amazing, highly rewarding industry and job. Mm. And they've just got to take it seriously. And, and mm. thankfully, over the past decade or so, I think we've seen this transition from, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll and just kind of this living hard and fast and just realizing that, oh, wait a minute. You know, I can't do this or it doesn't work that way. And I, and I think the mindset of the tour and the responsibility has been that way as well. Mm. I mean, you know, back in the 80s, it was like everybody was doing it, it was not a problem. It was part of the culture. Now it's like, you know, you can't. Yeah. Um, Fuel, but fueled still, by cocaine. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, and, and that's another part, part too. So, yeah. Well, just, just stepping back there, Matt, you know, what you just said, right? And I don't know whether it, it, it's just me or, you know, you're the first person that I've spoke to who's mentioned something like that, right? I have spoke to maybe four or five vendors um, over the course of the last three or four months. And, you know, because I am so, so conscious of the return to work. And, um, and I've said to them, listen, your equipment, is worth hundreds of thousands. So are you telling me, you know, that you're prepared to let a guy who hasn't worked for 12, 14, 15 months just come back in and start working with your kit? I said, if we was athletes and we suffered an injury that kept us out of the game for 12 to 14 months, we would be going through a period of rehabilitation, okay? And we would be brought up to, to some level of fitness, match fitness, whatever you want to yeah. call it again, reacquainted back into what we're doing, right? Have you not thought of that? Have you not thought of setting up some training days and training courses and the like? Oh, shit, I didn't think like that. I didn't I didn't think. I had it the, the other week with my labour company. You know, we did a job for somebody and we had a guy on a forklift truck, you know, and the client kind of called up going, oh, I thought he was a little slow today. You know, and I'm like, well, what do you mean? Was his something wrong? No, I just felt he was a bit slow. So I said, all oh, right, OK. So we called the driver up you know, and said, listen, was everything okay today? Was it, you know, what was up, you know? And he's like, no, nothing. It was all fine. He says, listen, I just took my time. He says, I've not been in a machine for ages. So I just took my time, you know, and, and, and checked everything and double checked. You know, I didn't want any accident, you know? So we, we spoke again to the client and said, listen, you know, if you're thinking that people are going to jump in how they did in 2019 or mm. prior to that, you know, you've got to be careful. You know, yeah. maybe you need to factor in an extra few hours for your loading, for what you need to do, yeah, you know, yeah. because, you know, and I, I've spoken to a couple of production managers since, and I've told them this story and I said, listen, you need to start thinking about building this extra timing because what we don't know or what we do know is when the pressure's on, the pressure's on, mm. right? And 
different people respond in different ways to when the pressure is on. What we don't know is how people are going to respond when they come back. You know, it's like a backline guy. You know, if you know if he's not been setting up stuff, you know, and had time and everything to 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 get it out, check it, do all of this. You know, if if we're walking into a rehearsal studio thinking, yeah, he needs three hours, you know, and it ain't ready, you know, what's the response going to be? Yeah. yeah. I think, we, know, I think I, we need to build an extra day. And this, exactly. you know, even just to get backline and monitors together if you're doing the rehearsal, yeah. you're going to need an extra day. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah, extremely insightful. I mean, and I love the analogy, you know, even sports and you being a football fan, it's like, you know, in the off season, you know, the month or two before, you know, the season starts back up, even three months before it's like, you know, they're not out there doing full sprints and, and lifting heavy. They're out there walking and jogging and building their endurance again and creating muscle memory. Um, I can imagine if, you know, you're going from, you know, getting your eight, nine hours of sleep a night to all of a sudden, five, six hours of night, a sleep of a night, that's going to be such a stressful, hard shift on, on the yeah. body and brain that, yeah, you know, and then when we're not used to that sleep deprivation, mistakes are going to be made um, with heavy equipment, with shackles, with rigging, with uh, whatever, you know, it's like, we've got to you know, slow it down and make sure nobody's rushing. I mean, it, it's awesome. I mean, I, mm. yeah, very insightful stuff. Very cool. Yeah, we yeah, will. Well, yeah, yeah, we've, um, you know, last week, and I think we'll, we'll be doing the same next week. You know, we've just said to some of the lads, okay, listen, we're going to go to one of our regular vendors. We're going to get the forklift truck out and you can just move shit around for him. And he's like this. That's great. I'm paying for them. And he's getting his shit moved around. Mm. And it's not costing him anything. Mm. You know, and I think this is this is where we have to try to engage with people and we have to ask them and say, you know, what are you doing? You know, what is your plan, you know, for when your people come back? You know, do we, you know, if you went through your list of regular crew, Chris, you know, that you always love to work with and you always, you know, want to give them the first call, you know, do you truly know how their last year or 14 months have been? Um, you know, we can, no, one, no one knows. Exactly. We can have the chat and yeah, it's all good. Yeah, great. Can't if, wait. If, if they all look as good as you, then, then I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dave, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on and doing this with us. This has been a wonderful chat. But before before I let you go, I, I do have to, I do have to, you know, come back to it. A, a memory that, that I have that is just so endearing and, and wonderful was you and I were, you know, we were to the TPI awards together. And, and you, you know what, you, you, you won the Dennis Sheehan Tour Manager Award in 2019. So, and, and it was a wonderful moment. And I remember Dave Lawrence gets announced and, you know, this, this, you know, it's like an award show. There's a huge audience with banquet tables and a stage with lighting and hosts and a podium and a girl holding your award and you couldn't find the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> like how do I get up on the stage you were like fuck it you just like knee up climbed up you muscled your way up on the stage exactly and took your award so that that is that is kind of that is you 
that is you. That is basically you in a nutshell. You know, I don't need the fucking stairs. Let's just get the job done. I don't care how I do it. You know, I don't care how I'm perceived. You climbed up on the stage, you know, dusty knees and all, and, and, and accepted your award. It was a brilliant moment. And I've got a really great picture because, you know, I got the Roger Waters award that night and, you know, beautiful, wonderful image of you and I holding our awards together after the show. Could you send that to me? I do. I will. I will. I will. I mean, I, 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 I remember that, you know, those days fondly. And, you know, I'm always there for you. You know it, bro. And I, 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 want, I don't care if I come to Portugal and clean your pool for you or if we're out on stage with Massive Attack. You and I, I want our friendship to go along, you know, and uh, it means a lot to work with you. And it means yeah, a lot to have you on the show. Thank you. Listen, and, and, and that's what it's about. You know, uh, uh, it's the connections you make, you know, along the road. It's about keeping those connections, yeah. you know. And for me, you know, I want to be there for people, you know. <laughs> I, I, you know, Bill Ramey, you know, I um, chat with Bill. We was chatting the other week. You know, I, think, I met Bill, I think, in 98. You know, we did. I did a support tour with Asian Dub Foundation. Uh, Asian Dub Foundation, Rancid, and the Beastie Boys. All oh, right. In in the round, and um, you know, Bill was so nice, helpful, and accommodating, and we kind of kept in touch. You know, ever since. You know, um, and that's what it's about. You know, listen when you when you meet the nice people. You want to be with the nice people. You, you do. Know? You do. And unfortunately for us, sometimes, you know, we're passing ships. You know, when you try to, where, where are you going to be? Oh, you're there Saturday night. We're there Sunday night. You know, oh, mm -hmm. right. Okay. You know, and sometimes you don't get to see people, you know, and that's that's the, the hard part about it. You know, what, yeah. <laughs> just a funny story, like, what, which was funny to me anyway. I was um, doing a festival um, and I think we'd come off maybe four or five of our own, like, club shows or venue shows and we went to do a festival and I remember sitting in the production office, you know, and I got head down doing what I do, you know, and I uh, 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 lifted my head up and there was an old friend of mine there. And I was like looking at him and I was like, what the fuck are you doing here? And he's like, what do you mean? I says, well, what are you doing here? This is, this is our show. He went, it's a festival day and we're coming <laughs> in tomorrow. And I've come in for the overnight loading. Yeah. And I'm like, shit. <laughs> of course. It, yeah. You know, in a lot of what we do, you know, it can blur. You know, it, it, it blur, is, yeah. You know, and, you, in, and you're, and you're right. Thing. Surrounding yourself, you know, there's a lot of people that can do the job out there. There are. But we tend to surround ourselves with people that are pleasant to work with, you know, that, that can actually coexist with you, you know? So th that has a lot to do with it as well. So, you know, and I tell young people all the time, you know, have a good attitude, have a good attitude, be someone that, you know, they want to be around, you know, cause that, that's, that's going to take you a lot further than, you know, hard, hard work and a good attitude done. You know, you might not be the most skilled, you might not be the fastest or the best, but hard work and a good attitude, you have a, that, that's a career right there. That's the makings of a career. 
Well, my friend, the best of luck to you in Portugal. Uh, I, I, you know, you 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 took me on a on a trip on a on a on a, on a WhatsApp video trip around your property recently, and it's beautiful. So I'm really happy for you. And and you know what? I don't know. Maybe maybe you'll get enticed to get out there again because a lot of people I talk to now were like, "Oh, this is what retirement's like. I'm not ready." You know, this is this this COVID thing has talked a lot of people into going. No, I I, I want to get back to work, but. You're, you're maybe not so much you. <laughs> no, so much you. I, I think, listen, <laughs> I, I'm the other way. You know, I'm like, for the first time, you know, yeah. I'm sat down. You know, mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, you know, I can pick and choose how many hours in the office. You know, I'm not getting 100 phone calls, 100 plus yeah, yeah. emails, emails yeah. not getting people ringing me at 5.30 going, we need this budget. Yeah. And guess what? We just, you know, when you think. But you just asked for right, it. You, yeah, you, you've had that information. You just, you just told me about that. You know. Budgets budgets aren't done overnight, as we know. As we know. Exactly. You know, yeah. and, and that's it. So it's those little, you know, within the chain of everything, you know, it's the little pressures, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, that yeah. happen. And, and also, listen, with me, what you see is what you get. So I'm kind of like, you know what? <laughs> Fuck it, mate. I ain't doing it. You know, you'll have to wait. Uh, and that always yeah. doesn't work for some people, right? Yeah. You know. Well, you're one of the classic Mancunians that, that this industry has ever seen, you know. So, you know. All right, my brother. Why don't you be, nice be, be well? You know, thanks for doing yeah. this with us. And uh, yeah. I will... Uh, we will be in touch. Any la any last words, Matt? No, thank you, David. That was great. I really enjoyed listening to you and your story. Um, I, the insight, and I would consider you kind of a sage in the industry just because of the way that you see things from a different perspective. And that uh, no, was awesome. Thank you for your time. Yeah, yeah no, listen, happy to, happy to be here. You know, I love the, the podcast. I had a listen the few days back, you know, and I... I uh, I'm in the process with a few other people of setting up a new website, which is going to be called Event Crew Training. And our idea is we set up this web website, which is not for profit. And anybody could go on that website, pay a nominal amount, like 20 quid, $30. And they can do a, a course which lasts about two to three hours and talks about what to expect when you go to a venue, what you expect to see, how you unload trucks, who the production manager is. And there's a series of uh, questions that have to be answered and modules. And, you know, as you go through it all at the end, you get a certificate. And then you, you get to print your laminate, right? Right there, you, know, you just download yeah. your laminate and print it. Wow. Exactly. Yeah, and, and the idea is that hopefully for people in our industry that might just want a little bit of a refresher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, right. you know and also um, people in our industry, listen, we could be losing 20, 30, 40%. Right, we could stage stage hands, vendor crew, touring crew. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. I, I, I told right. we're, we're, we have to be ready for that. Yeah. Okay, so when those young people come in with less experience, no knowledge, no real understanding, you know, not even knowing what a truck is, right? What do we do? 
So we're trying to arm them with the basic knowledge. And, uh, you know, I'll talk a little more on this. But, yeah, you know, once I would like to link your podcast to our website and maybe in turn we can link our website to some of your doing. Love it, love it. You know, we'll we'll, we'll attach some stuff. We'll attach your stuff into the notes that we have show notes off to the side and we can attach some websites. But we'll talk about that off air and we'll make sure we we'll make sure we get that done. But yeah, let's do that. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. My friend, I was good seeing your dog. Your dog jumped on you a second ago. That that, that's that that's basically your life in a nutshell, you know. Exactly. Portugal dogs and I'm looking forward to seeing the guest room in your house, bro. Because I'm 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 gonna, you know, I look forward to 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 doing all that with you. I'll give you that answer off air. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys, thanks for this. I'll see you soon. Take care. All right. Bye.